Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the RouterFlex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. And on today's episode of the RouterFlex podcast, we have guest Rich Martinez. He's on the board of directors for the State Banking Board for Colorado, and he's also the president and CEO at Young Americans Center for Financial Education. Rich Martinez on the RouterFlex podcast today. How you doing, Rich? Very good. How about yourself? Well, I'm hanging in there considering it's April 15th, 2020, right in the middle of the coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> doing okay. How about you? Are you safe and well? Your family okay? We are doing well. So I'm, I'm enjoying at least that I get out of the household to, to come to the office. Um, I don't think I could be locked up with everybody. <laughs> Buddy, let me tell you. Uh, so uh, my wife has been home now for, and, and I love my wife dearly, don't get me wrong, but my wife's been home for 26 days. And I work, we all work virtually at RiderFlex, so we work from home. So my wife and I have been in the same house 24 hours a day for 26 days in a row. <laughs> Holy moly. Yeah. She looked at, we were sitting on the couch the other night, and she goes, you're starting to drive me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're getting through it, though, man. You, know, you got to stay positive in these times, right? Try to, anyway. Absolutely. Give us some, give us some you know, some Rich Martinez personal stuff. Talk to us about, you know, family stuff. Maybe even start with where you grew up and some of your family, even before you got married and had kids. Walk us through some personal stuff, if you don't mind. Great. Yeah. So I grew up in Pueblo, Colorado, southern end of the state. Uh, my father was a steel worker, um, so blue-collar household. Uh, my mother was a stay-at-home mom. Um, I have a, one younger brother, um, but, uh, you know, a really a, a typical blue-collar household. Um, lived, we grew up in a, I grew up in a trailer park. Um, you know, I think we were still better off than most of the, the kids in the neighborhood. Um, my parents really instilled a, uh, you know, a hard work ethic, you know, so a strong work ethic and really earning, you know, earning what you, what you need and, mm. and, and paying your bills. Mm. Um, so, but money was always a fascination for me growing up is I think maybe because we didn't have any, you know, communications around money in the household were nothing never, you know, ever positive. Uh, it was always <laughs> negative. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I think you grow up where you grow up and, um, I'm you know, thankful for that. I had both mom and dad home and, and still around. And so, cool. um, but, uh, you know, strong work ethic and, and a great background to grow up, great working class family. Graduated from Pueblo East high school and then went to CSU. Moved, did you, you moved up to Fort Collins? Yes. Yeah. Um, very similar size town at the time, Fort Collins and, and Pueblo, I think really took different paths as time went on, but, um, but a really small town. And so trying to find a place where, um, you know, the, that I could fit in. So as a first generation college student, um, oh. I think that was really important. So. 
Congratulations. Congratulations. Did your, did your brother go to school too or no? Yes. Yeah. He ended up at CSU and, um, as well. So yeah. Wow. Congratulations from college. Congrats to your parents. And neither one of them went to school and they sent two boys to CSU. How about that? Absolutely. Yeah. They're very proud. Pretty cool. All right. And so you had a fascination with numbers early on. That's why you majored in finance. Yes. Yeah. I always actually wanted to be a banker. My, uh, my youngest son, you know, when he goes through, when he went through his middle school career exploration, um, pieces that they do. He said, dad, what did you want to grow up to be? And I said, I wanted to be a banker. And he said, you are a banker, dad. And I said, well, I've always wanted to do that. I've, I've always <laughs> loved money. And like I said, maybe because I didn't have any, uh, but there was always a fascination with how does that, how do markets work, how do banks work and all of that. Wow. So, okay. So that was the goal from the very beginning. All right. All right. I was wondering about that. So you graduate and then early on you get uh, the job at the federal reserve a bank examiner. Yeah, so I had an internship while in college with um, what is now Wells Fargo, but a few predecessor banks, um, and they taught me the banking business. Every semester, I would I would go to a different department, um, from being a teller to a new accounts representative to running in those days proof and um, processing checks to doing loan um, leads. Uh, you know, uh, research. So they showed me the entire banking business and the federal reserve picked me up and said, you know how to do every job in a bank. We want you to start auditing and, and figuring out where the holes are when we audit these banks. How about that? Okay. So when I saw bank examiner, the title on your LinkedIn profile, anytime I hear bank examiner, I think of the movie, it's a wonderful life. Absolutely. Uh, That's what everybody does. <laughs> Where the guy comes in like bank examiners here, you know, or something like that. That's all I think about every time I hear that term. <laughs> that's what, okay. that's what everybody does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. You had a, you had a nice run there seven years and then um, talk to us about your career a little bit after that. Walk us into a little bit of your career. Go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, growing up, like I say, as with a household that really was not very sophisticated with money, my parents did not have a checking account until I left for college. Um, I was always, it was always a mystery to me. And so other people taught me about money, not my family. And so as a bank examiner, um, one of the institutions that I supervised was Young Americans Bank, the world's only bank for young kids under the age of 22. And our branch executive um, here in Denver um, said, well, this bank's in your portfolio. I'm going out to speak to their youth advisory board. Um, You need to come with me. Um, and I fell in love with the organization and, and their mission to teach kids about money and banking. Um, and so I began to volunteer. And uh-huh. um, that led to um, one day them calling me and saying, you know, we have a job opening. You're out in all these banks. You probably know somebody that's looking for a job. And I said, wow, me, I'm, I would love to talk to you about that. And they said, really, you would like to do that? So that led to a career where I started as vice president of compliance. Um, I then headed up the bank side of the house, vice president of the bank. Um, Then I became chief financial officer um, over the bank and the nonprofit arm, and then um, have been president and CEO of all entities now for the last 12 years. So um, it turned into an incredible career, and I call it my American dream of really being able to to teach kids about money and, and exactly what I wondered about as a kid, being able to teach masses about finance and banking and the free enterprise system. Congratulations. You've been there, what, almost 21 years? Yes. Yeah. It's, wow. It, you know, it's you're, and you're, flies a, by. <laughs> you're a humble, you're a humble guy too, because 
I can always tell when people are a little bit humble because on your LinkedIn profile, you don't show all those promotions. You just show, hey, I'm, I'm the president there. But wow, you went in at a, at a lower rank and got moved up several times. Um, so congrats on that. And now you're the president, you. president and CEO. Um, can, will you give an overview for the listeners who have never heard of Young Americans Center for Financial Education? Um, just give us a nice overview, if you don't mind. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the organization started back in 1987, um, founded by cable pioneer Bill Daniels, um, that was really considered the father of cable television. But his premise was, is that the free enterprise system is the best system in the world. The bank is the center of that system. And if you didn't know how to navigate a bank, manage your finances, how are you going to realize the American dream? So he started Young Americans Bank as the world's only bank for young kids under the age of 21. Um, and so, of course, a lot of hurdles there. Um, and so, and from the Young Americans Bank grew Young American Center for Financial Education, our companion uh, nonprofit. Um, and we offer three different um, kind of, you know, programs through there. One is Young Ameritown, which is for fifth graders, where they run a kid-sized town for a day after doing about 26 hours of lessons in the classroom, as we partner with teachers really learning about civics, um, the, the free enterprise system, how to run a business, um, how to manage their personal finances. And they put that all into practice with the culminating event where they come and run a kid-sized town for a day. So that program now reaches 50% of Colorado fifth graders. Um, so about 35,000 kids a year. Um, we also have licensees in Casper, Wyoming, Lenora, Kansas, and we're working on Albuquerque, New Mexico. So um, a nice regional program there. Nice. We move up, we move up to middle school um, and we have a lesson in global economics. So um, our program there is called International Town. Um, kids go through a similar format of having classroom lessons and their culminating activity is to come and run the world for a day. So cool. we have a simulated world of 16 countries that we've broken up into four fictitious regions. Each region has its own currency with the relative value to the other region's currencies that 50% of the, the simulation is them being um, travelers. And so traveling the world, understanding currency exchange, buying souvenirs, understanding different cultures. The other side is, is really the economic piece. So understanding the interdependence of our world, um, specialization, um, trade, um, but really getting seventh graders, 12 to 14 year olds to understand this complex world that we live in as we're seeing now with the coronavirus and the this disruptions in our supply chains, mm -hmm. but understanding why the world operates and how it operates the way it does. Mm -hmm. um, so we reach about 11,000 students a year through that program here in the Denver metro area. And then our last pillar is entrepreneurship. Um, and so for a long time um, with Bill Daniels, our founder being one of the most notable entrepreneurs in the Rocky Mountain region and in notably or arguably in the world, um, we worked with entrepreneurs that um, had their own businesses, so young entrepreneurs, um, to help them grow those businesses, um, support them with mentorship, um, ongoing seminars. Um, we have a statewide competition called the Spotlight on Youth Biz Stars. Um, that uh, we honor these young business, whole business owners and match them up with uh, prominent entrepreneurs and business people in the community that serve as their mentors. 
Um, and then in 2015, we acquired another nonprofit, a small nonprofit in the Denver area called YouthBiz, um, that really worked with inner city youth and helping them understand the importance of, of entrepreneurship. So with that acquisition, we now take kids from understanding entrepreneurial thinking and all the way to business ownership and, and having those businesses. So, um, so a vast variety of programs um, with Young Americans Bank and Young Americans Center, uh, but all focused on how do, we, um, how do we utilize our free enterprise system to our benefit. Um, and really hope keeping the the legacy of Mr. Daniels alive. You know, it's isn't it ironic how you grew up in a household not knowing any not not being taught anything about the banking or the money. Like you said, your parents didn't even have a checking checking account, and here you are leading an organization that teaches children all about that. I mean, yeah. wow. I I I mean, like I say, I look at it and I say, this is the American dream. Um, this is, if you work hard and you take advantage of opportunities, um, you know, I'm, I'm the American dream. I, I've, I've, I've lived it. You know, for the listeners that aren't familiar with, with Young Americans, um, I encourage you to visit yacenter.org. It's yacenter.org, I believe is the main website. Is that, is that accurate? Correct. Yep. Yep. Um, and then from there, you'll see all the great information. And you'll also see the social media buttons at the bottom of the webpage and, and, and some really great YouTube videos on there, too. I mean, great social media, you know, all around, but some some YouTube videos on there that really go into showing some of the some of the day in the life of uh, some of the students, you know, as they're uh, <laughs> moving through their exercises. I really enjoyed that. I, I was blown away by what I saw. I, my first reaction was, wow, I didn't know about this. Uh, my second reaction was, I wish I would have put my kids through it. <laughs> uh, some, you know, some really inspirational stuff in there. It, it, it is true. How many, I mean, kids go all the way through regular school and they just aren't, ta they aren't taught these things. They just aren't taught these things. And the fact that you guys are doing that uh, early on, you're, you're helping shape lives. Do you have any idea how many children you've you've touched and affected in an inspirational way over the last 21 years have you ever tried to add that up yeah so we're actually since we started in 87 it's 32 years almost 33 years yeah and we're we're over 850,000 youth that we've reached since inception so wow. yeah it continues to to grow and um like i said mr daniel's legacy continues to go on so i'm gonna guess some of those 850,000 are now donors to the nonprofit. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and uh, so I talked about it earlier, but we have a youth advisory board in addition to our adult boards. Um, and those youth advisory board members are now donors and mentors to kids and um, they are continuing to give back, which is um, was another one of Mr. Daniel's pillars is to make sure that you, you share those, those, that wealth of knowledge that you gain. Now, as CEO, what percentage of your daily life is uh, raising cash with donors versus running the operations? What is it? I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah, it is um, probably, you know, 80% fundraising, 20% um, operations. Um, yeah. That has been flipped a little bit on its side now with the, the pandemic. And I am getting a little bit more involved in operations to make sure that I'm a backup for bank staff. And, um, and uh, still continuing to be, you know, in touch with donors, 
um, but not making a lot of fundraising calls, really just solidifying our existing donors. Um, but I'm in the bank. Um, I haven't pulled out a teller drawer uh, lately, but I'm doing overdraft reporting and wires and things like that. So it all comes back to you. You know, it's you, know, if, if, you, you never forget. And doing that, you're, you're probably like, oh, I didn't, I forgot we were doing it that way. Actually, we might be able to make an improvement on that process or whatever. It, right? you never... It's one of those career pieces that I, you know, I tell my, my employees and my kids is, you know, you never forget where you came from and, and constantly look at how things are done. Um, and, and the only way you can do that is to kind of do that. And I know some big corporations, they're not able to go back to the front lines, but, but I am here and I enjoy that. Um, not only the interaction with our staff and our, you know, our teammates, but, uh, but just getting back in the nitty gritty of things and going, wow, this is where I started and this is great. It's healthy for a CEO to do that, especially if you're with, if you're, if you are with a small enough company, um, I mean, if you're fortune 500, it's hard to do that. But uh, interesting. You mentioned that because recently, even at RiderFlex as a, as a search firm, we had a situation where as the CEO, I kind of dove back down and managed quote, quote, managed a search by myself with, without any other recruiters involved. And, uh, I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I forgot we were doing it that way. <laughs> it was good. It was a good exercise. You know, also interesting that, um, you mentioned your, I think what I heard you say, maybe not in these words, but I think you, you were saying, I've been careful not to call and ask people for money right now because this is an odd kind of weird situation we're in as a country. And so you're a little careful with some of those phone calls. I think I heard you say that. Um, it's, it's interesting. We're the same, right? Even at RiderFlex, we, we haven't done a lot of um, what I would call door knocking for new business to say, Hey, Mr. Business owner, how about a new expense and signing us up as a new vendor? Like not right, right now, this week, April 15th, probably not the best week to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that's exactly what I meant is we're solidifying our, our good relationships and making sure they understand where we are and, and what we're doing and, and solidifying their support, um, utilizing my board members um, and their connections to, to get the word out that, um, you know, that our mission is as important now as it ever is. Um, but yeah, we're not out um, trying to make new relationships at this point. Yeah. How many employees, by the way? So we're about, we're just a little north of 50 employees. So it okay. kind of ranges. Um, we are down a little bit now. So we did furlough some staff. We don't have school groups coming in. So we did furlough um, about 12 staff just to, to make sure that we maintain because we're a, a, a company talking about financial literacy and good, um, good financial habits. We want to make sure we walk the walk and talk the talk that uh, um, so we have a strong balance sheet and uh, we want to maintain, you know, maintain that throughout this. So have not you, eating into reserves. Yep. I totally agree. Have you already thought already about adding this crisis situation now in as a quote class or an exercise now that like, Hey, when you come in to do uh, young Ameritown, you, you got to go through this exercise to figure out what you would do in a situation like this. Have you thought about plugging something like that in there? So in international town, we do have a, we introduce different dilemmas during the day that they have dilemmas. economic situations and we have a pandemic dilemma. I don't think oh, it do. goes as deep into this, <laughs> but we had kind of, you know, an Ebola type um, uh, scenario that they would go through and they do lots of other things in international town, like 
um, you know, trade routes would be interrupted. So there would be a natural disaster. There's economic um, turbulence, immigration. Um, and it's amazing to say 12 to 14 year olds are tackling big issues like that, but they're hearing it in the news every single day. And for them to at least understand the basics of those um, kind of world issues um, are, is very valuable. What I love about a, a, a 10 or 11 year old's comment or answer about a problem or a situation or a process is they make, I, I don't know if I'm going to use the right words, but they, they say things without any filter of politics or weird relationships they might have in the office or, Oh, I got to keep Mary happy. So let me say this thing, like an adult would, you know, I got to yeah. say this certain way because I don't want to make that department mad or I don't want to And like an 11 year old just says like a very common sense answer. Like, yes, we're going to do this. Why wouldn't we do that? Like, do they just say like, yeah. it's just matter of fact, like, well, yeah, this is the answer. But yeah. then as we get, as we get to be adults, we have to put all these filters in there and all we're worried about all the relationships or the politics. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they're, you know, they're looking at as a game. And so they're doing whatever is needed to make sure they get to a solution. Yeah. whether that be bartering, whatever. And yeah, and you look back at that and go, wow, if we were as adults could put all that other stuff aside, we could get a lot of work done. A lot of work done. You're absolutely right. Couldn't agree more. Um, let me ask you this real quick. We, you know, on the RiderFlex podcast, a lot of what we do is give out career advice and job interviewing advice. And boy, right now there's going to be more people looking for jobs than there were 30 days ago. Um, You've interviewed and hired a ton of people now at this point. Um, and do you do, do you do resume and job interview training at all or any exercises around that with the kids or no? Um, we do. Even as young as 10 years old, they come up with a, um, they do a job assessment. I call it a, a mini Myers and Briggs test to understand okay. what their, their skills are. Um, and then they put together applications and resumes and interview for their positions in that in young Ameritown. So so it's great to see these young people start and just, we also bring in outside people. So it's not mom okay. and dad or teachers doing it. It's business people. So that they, we call it the, the suit and tie moment. So they, they dress up, they're nervous and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Uh, you know, as you talk about, you know, interviewing, I love to see somebody with a little bit of nerves. I mean, the guy that comes in and is too polished, mm -hmm. that's a little scary to me. Yeah, um, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I would rather have them during throughout an interview become more comfortable with me and the organization. And then I really see who they are. Mm -hmm. uh, but if they come with a little nerves, that's, um, that's a real person. Mm -hmm. I agree. What, what are some of the, what are some common mistakes you see people make during, during, during an interview? I think touting themselves and, and, you know, some of their experiences, trying to make them too grandiose, you know, yeah. instead of, instead of boiling it down to here's what I did and, and let the interviewer dig in a little bit and, and pull some of those out. Um, I think they come in far too, uh, you know, rehearsed and sometimes you get those rehearsed answers too, and then they can't go beyond those. Um, they, mm. um, so I like, like I say, I really like real people and you can figure out pretty quick who's real and who's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, right? You're, you're so right. They, why do they always embellish? You know, not to be too uh, harsh here, but I always tell my recruiters, I always tell them, I'm like, look, every candidate is lying a little bit about something. 
embellish, use the word embellish if you want to, instead of lying, since that's a harsh word, but they're all stretching something. They're all of them. So your job as a recruiter is to figure out how far they're going <laughs> and, yeah. and see if you can go ahead. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's human nature to want to take, you know, yes. you know, take credit for things that maybe quite aren't there. I mean, from storytelling, you know, in yeah. just normal life. Um, but I think in a job interview, you want to be as real as possible. I'm always looking for number one on my list is a great personality fit for the team. Um, and so we do a lot of, um, you know, myself and our HR uh, VP, we do the first round. And then I always bring in team members because I want to hear what, how they act, first of all, just to watch them but also to see what they say to a team member or, right. you know, or a direct supervisor. Um, and that actually is the best, you know, the best input that I get is from those people or even just watching to see how do they treat other people. Mm -hmm. um, I always look back at Mr. Daniels said, you know, it's, it's how you treat the receptionist, not how you treat, you know, the vice president or the president that makes a difference here because those are people that will, will live with you for a long time. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I love, by the way, how you, you let your team members visit with people after you and HR visit with them. And I think that's good just for any uh, managers or hiring managers or recruiters out there. I think that's the best uh, process. I, 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 I'm not in favor personally of letting the team members interview a candidate, candidate first and then moving up to the hiring manager. I, I prefer the, the process you're using. I think that is best. And that's a good one. Um, how about this, you know, you know, with, with your own career now, and by the way, great career. I mean, congratulations on everything you've done there. If you could look back and call that young man coming out of CSU, let's say, I don't know, I'm guessing you were 21 or something when you graduated. What, what would you tell him today? I think, um, yeah, you know, this is very interesting piece of advice is, is to calm down um, and, um, and live life a little bit. Um, I was, as coming from the background that I came from, it was charge forward as quick as possible. Um, I had a young bride and a young family, and, um, but it was all about the career. And um, I think sometimes you miss, you miss things. Um, I think you know, I miss time with my young family. Um, I, I love my kids dearly and, and spend a lot of time with them now. But I see my daughter that's 20, 21, almost here in a few months, um, by going over a similar path. I mean, she's in hospital administration. And she's like, by the time I'm 40, I'm going to be running a hospital. And I said, honey, that might not be the best thing for you. I mean, take a time, take it easy and, and enjoy life. Um, mm. So um, that really, that's what I would say is I was so focused on climbing the career ladder, making money. Um, I fortunately had an incredible uh, partner. My wife, Stacy, um, kept me grounded and took care of the household, but, um, but she, she let me do that and, you know, and, and let me get there. Uh, but we're, we're finally backing off now and saying, yes, you enjoy your, your job. You love your career, but um, make sure that you spend time with the family. And that's, you know, her forcing to say, we will take a family vacation every year. You will have family dinners. You will do all of these things. And um, it's helped me. And it's actually helped me with my, with my teammates and my, my team here in saying, you know what, it's okay, go home. We're, we're not going to 
to kill ourselves today. It's time to go home. That's, that's one of the things that I respect about millennials. And, and by the way, I pick on millennials on the Rider Force podcast <laughs> constantly. I pick on them all the time. But the one thing I do respect is that I feel like millennials in general have a better work-life balance attitude than we did growing up in the 80s, right? Because um, I was like you. I mean, my dad was an oil field worker from Oklahoma. And, yeah, I mean, he's you know, drilled work ethic into us from day one. And so it was all about just work 24 seven work as hard as you can. And I was very similar and we're, we're pretty, I'm a little bit older than you, but uh, yeah, I would, I would concur. And my advice to the listeners would be the same. Um, one of the biggest, I don't have too many regrets in life, but one of them that I do regret is just not spending more time with my sons doing fun stuff. I, I mean, it's, it's, you know, now at the age of 53 in the last few years, I go camping all the time in the mountains, um, often by myself or, or maybe with a friend or something. And my, my sons are grown. They're, they're working, they have their own lives, so they don't, they can't go a lot. But my point is I spend a lot more time going camping and getting away and to relax and enjoying life now than I did when they were little. And I could have done a hell of a lot better job with them when they were small and we could have spent a lot more time together doing stuff like that. And I, and I didn't uh, because I just worked all the time. And so, yeah, if you're listening to this episode and you're in your thirties and you got young kids, uh, it's cool to be CEO of a company, but uh, don't, 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 don't make sacrifices that you'll regret later because uh, you can't go back. It's not a, it's not a VHS tape movie. You, you can't just hit rewind. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly as you say, it's cool to be a CEO, but that comes with a lot of responsibility. And that's what I tell my daughter. I'm like, yep. don't take that too soon. Enjoy yep. life. Yeah, it does. It sounds like you're learning how to balance it now, though, which is cool. Yes. And like I say, my wife is definitely forcing that to make sure that I continue on that path. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, we were uh, before the crisis, um, we were going to take our first trip without kids. We were we're big tennis players and tennis fans. And so we were headed to Palm Springs to the Indian Wells tournament that uh, we were headed out the day after they canceled it. So uh, oh. we were, it was, they canceled on Sunday night. We were headed out the next day for the tournament and really our first trip without kids and enjoying life. And we got kind of slapped back. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully it's going to lift pretty soon. I, I, I really hope so. Today we're recording this on April 15th. I sure hope uh, we can get out pretty soon. I'm getting stir crazy and I'm going to just guess that I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah. I hope it gets lifted pretty soon. Last, last question for you, Rich. Um, at this stage in your life now, how would you define your core purpose in life as of today, if you had to put it into a sentence? Wow, that's pretty hard. That's that's difficult. Uh, it is, you know, isn't it? You know, I think I've gone from the um, the wanting to earn more money to making a difference in people's lives. Um, and in in my case, it's it's making sure that young people understand how to manage their finances. Um, um, and so I I would say it's it's going from corporate person to um, mission related, um, mm. but utilizing all those skills of, of running things like a business, running a nonprofit like a business to, to make a difference and make a difference bet, in all of our young people. I bet it feels good when you get that call from that 
24 year old that says, Hey, Rich, it's me, Johnny. Do you remember me? I came through your course and it really made a difference in my life. I bet that's pretty special. Well, we just, we just were selling a house. And so I was ordering cabinet fronts to replace some old cabinets. So the guy comes over to take some measurements and he said, your, your email signature, that, that's Young Ameritown, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, I went through Young Ameritown and I just started this business and that really got me going. And it's, a, that, cool. it's exactly right. You're like, I am making a difference. That's to cool. Have that's some guy great. that I, I just dialed out of the phone book and he went through Young Ameritown and, and it's changed his life as a business owner. That's pretty special. Pretty special. Yeah. Rich, thank you uh, so much. I really appreciate you sharing your story and being on the Rider Flex podcast. The Rider Flex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.